Hey guys, before we continue on to the main story, I want to present three short stories of people affected by our heroes. I hope you enjoy, and be ready for the return of the travelers next week. I would also like to thank Daniel Allardyce for the new intro music for this season of Numenera. You can listen to the whole thing at the end of this episode, and check a link for his SoundCloud in the show notes. Anyway, I would like to thank the following Patreon listeners. Gregory Larson, Michael Denos, Call Me Ishmael, Ken Doyle, Daniel Greer, Ivan T, Lubo343, Severin Kai, Nate T, and Midget Snowman. Thanks for helping us tell wonderful stories. Hello, fellow observers. Before we continue the story of our intrepid travelers, I thought I would take a moment to explore the stories of others affected by their antics, to see how the actions of so few can affect so many. The first story involves a being we are all familiar with. Come watch as we gaze into the story of the goddess. On a quiet field near a waterfall, an old woman sits contently, her tanned skin and calloused hands delicately grasping a small blue teacup. A teacup born of materials and crafted with techniques that were ancient when the oldest mountain in the ninth world was an annoying bump on a long forgotten road. The old woman, known, at least in this century, as Glenessa, enjoyed the sound of falling water upon rocks and wind flowing through thin grass, living in that quiet moment until she felt the presence of another, the intruder shaking her out of her revelry. I know you're there, she sighed a small note of annoyance in her voice. That trick stopped working on me a long time ago. In a small corner of the field, the presence popped into reality. Shapeless and translucent, it casually moved towards the old woman, sending her the emotional equivalent of a playful smile. Lanessa rolled her eyes. Although she was slightly younger than the presence, it felt at times that she was the eldest. The childish antics of the presence making her feel more like an older sister than an equal. Still smiling, the presence sent Glenessa a question, its burst of emotions, asking for her thoughts on what had transpired. I know just watching is your thing, she answered, ignoring the question. But maybe you should get to know them a bit more personally, like I do. It's much more fun that way. And honestly, it helps give you a bit of perspective about why we do all of this. The present sent Glenessa the equivalent of a raised eyebrow, its curiosity apparent. You ever wonder why we watch? She asked, glancing at the presence. I think we watch because we're jealous of them. They have such small segments of time, small compared to us anyway. But because of it, everything feels so important. Every life saved, every victory won, every true death. I sometimes wish, she continued, staring down at her tea, I could feel the same. The presence quickly made its worry known, an emotional weight that seemed to bend the field and waterfall towards it, which made Glenessa wave at it dismissively. Calm down, she said, settling its nerves. It's just a passing thought. It will be a long time before you're finally rid of me. Tell me, she continued, 
still looking down at the colorful and ever-shifting liquid within her cup. What do you think of them? The presence considered this, and after a moment, perhaps to indulge in Glenessa's preference for the material, it decided to speak. As travelers go, it rumbled, its voice seeming to come from every point in the room and from nowhere. They are an interesting bunch. I think they will succeed. At least. The presence continued as it slowly faded out of time and space. I hope they do. Closing her eyes, Lanessa slowly raised her head and whispered, I hope so too. Before she, the field, and the surrounding reality winked out of existence. It seems the travelers have affected Glenessa in an unexpected way. Or perhaps, they had simply revealed a truth that she had always been hiding within herself. Only time will tell whether this truth will have any impact on her in the future. Now we move to a story of royalty, as we gaze into the mind of the Queen. In the main room of the Empaternal House in the city of Charmon sits a queen. A queen on a chair made of a multicolored synth metal that seemed to only magnify her majesty. Across from her, at parade rest and finishing a rather lengthy and detailed report, stands a woman in well-worn but functional armor. The woman's manner and tone shouted military, and as she continued her report, her eyes stared into space, not for fear of looking at her queen, but because that was what was required by protocol. We then waited a day as you requested. With no sign of the four, we returned with no further incidents. Commander Eveline Tira of the Charmon City Guard finished, snapping her mouth shut to the final word and waiting for new orders. Thank you, Evelyn. The Queen nodded solemnly. Please give my words of thanks to the soldiers, and arrange for the usual death benefits to be meted out to the next of kin of those who were lost. Very well, my Queen, Commander Tira responded. Snapping to attention, she turned around and marched out the room. Queen Armalu had tried numerous times to have Evelyn act more casual when they were alone, but to no avail. Relaxation seemed like a foreign concept to the woman. Once the commander left, Armalu thought over the report on the expedition towards the Tower of the Water God. The losses were surprising. She had always known the soldiers of Glavis as little more than muscle-headed thugs masquerading as a military. Seems like High Mother Teppin had been as busy as her agents had indicated. Normally, Armalu would have taken steps to ensure the High Mother would no longer be a problem, but recent news in Glavis made her realize that would no longer be necessary. The much-vaunted Holy Light of the Twins had been snuffed out, and, as to be expected, those that relied on gods to define them found themselves broken by that loss, leading to infighting among the religious leadership, a possibility she considered when giving aid to her saviors a few days ago. It was aid she was happy to give, even though they had unknowingly ruined her own plans. The master of slaves they had stopped from trying to assassinate her was a greedy degenerate, Known to abuse the slaves he was supposed to represent, his nature was an open secret to most. Sadly, he was too cowardly and lazy to attempt anything that would justify her ousting him. She may be a queen, but she wasn't stupid enough to think she could do what she liked without consequence. Infecting the master of slaves with that strange creature ensured he would finally gain the gall to try to grab power. 
as it whispered promises of riches to gain and people to abuse. Once he attempted the coup, an attempt she was fully informed on and was ready for, she would put the slave markets under the full control of the crown. She would have then slowly dismantled the slave system over the next few years. Despite living in the house of a thousand slaves, as was tradition, she personally despised the practice. It was always said slaves had a choice in the matter. The truth was corrupt guards and officials made sure that choice was at knife point. To become the greatest city and nation in the steadfast, slavery had to be removed. As well as other practices that starkly contrasted with the image of hope Charmant always tried to present to those outside its walls. Still, despite the four heroes saving the day, the situation was salvageable. The creature's manipulations gave her the justification she needed to go over the Master of Slaves books. She was able to find enough evidence of bribes and other less wholesome pursuits to have him removed anyway. Ultimately, her goals were met. As for the saviors, she decided to reward them. She wasn't a petty woman. Punishing those who simply tried to do good was foolhardy at best and damaging at worst. Besides, she had to admit, she liked a quirky bunch. They brought about certain feelings of nostalgia, bringing back memories of her younger days. Searching in ruins with old friends and barely surviving fights with ancient creatures of prior worlds. Gaining artifacts, ciphers, and abilities which she eventually used to gain the power she has now. She hoped she would see them again, especially the one who now called himself Tagos. Although he tried his best to remain inconspicuous during the second meeting, she recognized him instantly. She always made sure to have a mental tally of the more famous assassins in the back of her mind. And the smiling Jack was rather well known. From what her agents had said, he seemed to have retired from the business, and had even tried a brief stint as a private investigator in Charmon with hilarious results. The fact he was staying with these youths indicated he might have a small core of decency that was rare in those of his profession. Once he finished whatever nonsense they needed to complete, she might offer him a job. She needed someone to help her manage the dozens of agents across the steadfast, and something told her the former assassin would make a wonderful spymaster. Alone in her throne room, and knowing her business was done for the day, Queen Armalu removed the robes of her office, the expensive silk and synth fibers dropping to the floor, revealing a tight-fitting but functional leather and synth armor. From her hips, she grabbed two daggers. One seemed to shift in and out of reality, as if stuck between two worlds. The other dagger glowed with a deadly green light, promising death to whatever it touched. With a flick of her wrist, a hidden door next to her chair of office opened. Beyond the door was a room with slowly awakening machinery. Battle automata readied themselves for combat, while ancient orbs began powering up beams of differing energies to unleash on anything in range. Cracking her neck, Armalu Ladranus, former adventurer and current queen of the greatest nation the steadfast, rushed into her training room, happy to finally have something challenging to do on a rather boring day. The story of this queen could be worth its own viewing one day, her rise to power taking levels of political maneuvering and physical skill few humans can match, and how her machinations will affect the travelers will be something to see. Now we turn to the final story, the tale of a former manipulator who became a true believer. Come watch as we gaze into the story of the convert. Long ago, 
When I was young and idealistic, I served false gods. I was taught what I was told was their teachings, philosophical treatises and folk wisdoms to guide me and my peers on the proper path towards enlightenment. Writings I consumed with a manic energy and righteous zeal, making it a life goal to use such knowledge for the betterment of my old city. Later, when I discovered the gods I served were not worthy of my worship, I changed my mission. I decided that if the gods did not truly guide the people of my city, I would. I would be the light in the darkness, a driving force to make its citizens the great power I knew they could be. I continued with this mission until those I had tried to stop fought back against me in the chamber of the false gods, destroying my careful plans in what I can only describe as a combination of stubbornness and pure dumb luck. It was in that chamber as they congratulated themselves on their victory and turned everything I had ever done to naught, that reality seemed to split. A crack in a universe forming that even the false gods were unable to stop. From it appeared a being beyond words, a being whose very presence seemed to alter reality around it. In a burst of energy, it pushed back the gods I once served, its intentions on the mortals in the chamber clear. The false gods, knowing they could not face this power, used their remaining energies to send the mortals that served them away, hoping to keep them from the being's grasp. And it was in that moment that I felt the power of a true god. In its rage, the being poured its energy into the false gods and pushed them back into their realm. And with another burst of energy, it sealed their portals shut. It was only later that I realized it had done more than close a gate between universes. It had sealed their entire realm, preventing them and any of their brethren from ever entering the Ninth World ever again. And as its eye turned towards me, I felt my knees buckle and my face awash with tears. But those involuntary actions weren't from fear, they were from joy. This was a true god I saw before me, a god I could serve. Something denied to me when I discovered the truth of the false gods of Glavis. Every part of my being wished to serve this creature, to finally bow before a being worthy of my worship. Perhaps it sensed this in me, for it grasped me with its power and led me to its realm between universes, a place of such terrible beauty that I felt my mind almost shatter. In this realm, I was remade in my god's image. It had found in me something it rarely encounters, a true believer. Not one of the weaker vessels it has to break and rebuild, but a willing and strong mind eager to serve. Once I was Tepin, high mother of a sham religion and master of her small and pathetic domain. Now I am something more a mortal who will bring about her god's reign in this universe and the next. I knew that Tepin would find her place one day. She just required the right focus to reach her true potential. And what better focus could there be than serving a being you truly believe is a god? Well, fellow observers, 
it's time to once again move our gaze to the travelers and see whether they have what it takes to bring their story to a satisfactory end.